Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, you are here. You are God. You are to be worshipped with the Father and the Son. Please bring your influence to bear upon me that I might communicate well, that I might say what you'd like me to say the way you'd like it said. Please bring your influence to bear upon each of us so that we hear what you want us to hear, so that we discern, so we eat the meat and spit out the bones. We ask it in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, just say amen. We, uh, we're doing a third message today about the Holy Spirit. We've called it an essential relationship. And today, I want to share some things with you that will, I believe, help you get ready for Christmas. We're all thinking about that. Danielle read the text. I'll read it again. might not seem like a Christmas text, but sit with it a little bit this morning. Paul's writing. He says, don't grieve. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So here we are. Are you fully prepared for Christmas? Uh, no. <laughs> Not if you're the typical person. We're transitioning, though, into getting everything ready, and that can add stress. Would you agree? Stress due to lots of stuff, like buying gifts and decorating, preparing food, maybe even hosting guests or traveling, remembering lost loved ones who are no longer with us, and even the stress of seeing people with whom we may have conflict. It's not unusual that at Christmas we interact with family members that we don't particularly like. It's a good time to invite the Holy Spirit into this season and consider how he might help us to experience more of his influence. Would you agree with that? As we consider today's text, we learn that Paul tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. This implies that he's a person. It also implies that he has feelings. He can be grieved. One translation says, do not bring him sorrow. Another one says, don't, don't make him sad. Don't make the Holy Spirit sad. You ever think about that? The Holy Spirit of God, God the Spirit, can be made sad by our behaviors. The text suggests that what grieves him are these things. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and then he mentions malice. These are relational things. Would you agree with that? Where do they come from? They usually come from hurt, some kind of hurt, usually in the form of rejection or feeling judged, being slandered, insulted, or maybe even not welcomed. Some of us come even into church feeling a little tentative, wondering, especially if we're new to a church, how we're going to be received. 
Sometimes we even come into our family gatherings wondering how it's going to go. The antidote for the things that are mentioned, that is, bitterness and rage and anger and so forth, the antidote for those things is what is found in verse 32. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving, forgiving each other. I want to do my best to unpack today's text. I'm going to focus on being kind and compassionate by being forgiving. By being forgiving. Do you know that in another place, we're told by Jesus to forgive from the heart? Which suggests that forgiveness shouldn't shouldn't be merely superficial. And today's text tells us that we're to forgive as we've been forgiven by Jesus, which means forgiveness is unconditional. It's not supposed to be based on getting an apology, even though it's wonderful if you get one. And I want you to consider this, that forgiveness is not so much an event as a process. Being able to forgive from the heart is more of a process than an event. But first I want you to consider this question If you're really going to learn to forgive, you can't be in denial about the fact that you've been hurt. So I want you to consider how have you been hurt. We're afraid to consider that question a lot of times because we Christians are worried about yielding to the victim mentality. But if you're going to get over the victim mentality, you got to face how you were hurt. Maybe you were not invited to a party or you were slandered on social media. Maybe you've been betrayed by a friend or a spouse. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were sexually exploited. Maybe you've been assaulted in some way. There's an endless number of ways that we can be hurt. I want you to also think about what not forgiving does to you. If you don't forgive, it raises your anxiety level. It it robs you of peace. It affects your sleep, and it makes you overreact to other situations. Withholding forgiveness hurts the person who refuses to forgive more than the person who did the hurting. It's a form of self-punishment. And consider also why do you think Scripture commands us to forgive? In part, because of some bad things that happen when we don't forgive. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 35, if you don't forgive from your heart, you're going to be handed over to the tormentors. Whatever that means, it doesn't sound attractive to me. Why does Scripture command us to forgive? Because if we don't, we're handed over to the tormentors. And if we don't forgive, life becomes more difficult for the reasons I've already mentioned. We need to forgive because we've been forgiven by Jesus unconditionally. We're told that in today's text. Do you know we're most similar to God when we forgive? 
A man named William Ward, he was an American writer, died in 1994. He said, we're most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. We're most like God when we forgive. Let's unpack forgiveness. What it doesn't mean, what it does mean, and how we can forgive from the heart. What forgiving doesn't mean. For some of you, this is remedial. You know this stuff. The question isn't, have I heard it before? It's, have I implemented it? Am I walking in it? What forgiving someone doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that what the person did to hurt you is okay. It doesn't mean minimizing, making light of it doesn't mean you need to be friends with that person. doesn't mean you need to trust that person. I have a friend who's a pastor and a novelist. He's written five published novels. He's one of the smartest guys I know and a humble guy, amazing preacher, good husband, good dad, good minister, good guy. He struggled with chronic pain, debilitating pain for decades. Here's what happened decades ago. He was treated by a doctor who completely misdiagnosed his case, prescribed a regimen of treatment that actually resulted in this permanent, irreversible condition that causes him to live with pain so that he can't even sleep at night. Now, it's irreversible from the standpoint of medical science, but God can reverse it. There's no such word as incurable in God's vocabulary, and he holds out hope for a miracle, and we pray for him to receive a miracle, but forgiving this doctor, and I know he's forgiven him, I walk with this man, I know him quite well, I can tell he's forgiven him, doesn't mean he's gonna go back to see him. Forgiving someone doesn't mean you trust them. What forgiving means? In part, it means forgiving the inexcusable. This is what C.S. Lewis said. Forgiveness means forgiving the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And I'll do my best to make more sense of this in the moments that follow. Well, let's state for the record, forgiveness isn't normal and it's not natural. Retaliation is. Retaliation is the default setting most of us were born with. Everyone was born with except Jesus. It's normal to want to hurt people who hurt you. Forgiving is supernatural. It takes God's help to forgive from the heart. So I'm not going to be talking to you this morning about something that you're going to be required to muscle through. I want to share with you some steps toward fully forgiving. And as I said, for some of you, this is going to be remedial. But it doesn't hurt to hear the same stuff over and over again. Neuroscience tells us we need to hear something at least seven times for it to land. The Bible is full of teaching that repeats itself. Jesus said to his disciples, again I say to you. Peter told his readers that I'm going to take pains to remind you of these basic things I've already talked to you about. 
If you're going to learn to forgive from the heart, you've got to acknowledge the wound and own the pain. You've got to acknowledge that you were hurt. Denial is not going to help you to forgive from the heart. Pretending that it's not as bad as it was isn't going to help you. You've got to acknowledge the wound. You might ask the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. might be hard to do. It takes some courage to do that. We just sometimes don't even want to look at it anymore, don't want to think about it. But if you really want to get to that place where you forgive people from your heart, you got to say, that really stung. That was really bad. I've been learning over the years, I wish I were a lot tougher guy than I am. Wish my, my skin were a lot thick, thicker. I'd like to pretend, and sometimes I've had, that hurtful words didn't hurt me, but they did. When I'm honest, I said to myself, ouch, that hurt, that hurt. Another step is invite Jesus into it, invite him into it. I keep repeating this, and I'm going to repeat it again today. Jesus is non-intrusive. How do I make that case? He said he stands at the door and he knocks He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and we'll sup with each other in ancient Near Eastern culture. Supping with someone was more than just having a meal with them. It was was embracing that person and who they are and their identity. Jesus wants a relationship with us, but he's waiting for us to hear him, to open a door to him, to welcome him in. He's non-intrusive. Invite Jesus into your pain. He's just waiting to bring his influence to bear on your pain. He's a healer. He is a healer. The Bible says he bore our infirmities and our diseases and our griefs and our sorrows. And it says he heals the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. And then he tells us, anyone who comes to me, I'll in no way cast that person out. Look at Jesus' track record of healing in the New Testament. Did he ever say no a single time that a person asked him for healing? And the answer is no. And then consider that Jesus is the same today as he was then. The Bible tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And consider that it says he doesn't show us any kind of favoritism. What he did for one, he'd do for anybody. Does that embolden you? It emboldens me. Invite him into it. What would happen if you said, Jesus, I don't even like talking about this. I don't even like thinking about it. I wish I could get over it, but I'm not over it. It takes some humility to admit you're not over a pain when that's the truth. And humility is where God meets us. If you're going to expect to experience God by walking with a, a swagger, guess what? The Bible says God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Just this morning, I was asking God, deliver me from my addiction to strength. Oh, how I love to be strong. I love to be perceived as being strong. But the reality is, I am not strong. I am not strong. Often I'm confused. Often I'm afraid. Often I'm intimidated. It's there that I meet Jesus. When I don't try to feign strength, when I don't try to pretend, when I say, God, life intimidates me. It's a lot tougher than I thought it would be when I was 20. 
he meets you in your pain, in your acknowledgments of how bad things are. And you know, it doesn't help, doesn't help you at all if you look around and say, well, you know, she, she suffered a lot more than me. What do I have to complain about? Well, God will help her with her pain. But adopting that mindset doesn't help you with yours. So please, please, please lean into your pain and invite Jesus into it. And then grieve your loss. Grieve the loss of what could have been. 26 years ago, I went to my first inner healing prayer practitioner. She was old enough to be my mom. She felt very safe. She was very gentle. I went to her because of rage. I had tried to address my rage for the 20-some years I'd already been a Christian. Often I did pretty well, but sometimes I was blindsided by it. It would surprise me. It would ambush me. My default way of dealing with that was to memorize more Bible verses on controlling my anger. It was to fast more, pray more. I was white-knuckling it, but nothing was really changing. I was addressing symptoms, but God always wants to get at the root. God wants to get at the root. That's where you experience freedom. So I went to her, and to my surprise... She asked me, after I told her why I was there, I was there, I said, because of rage, I said, here's what I'm experiencing. She said, okay, tell me your story. I want to know your relationship with your father. Tell me about your relationship with your dad. I don't remember ever talking to anybody about my relationship with my dad. I always thought it could have been worse. Could have been worse. But she said, tell me. So I told her. I felt so small, so weak, so pathetic. But I was desperate. And nothing I had done had served to help me to experience freedom from this rage. And so she let me yammer on for quite a while. And she said, after I had finished, she said, well, I've got a question for you. You have four kids. If you treated your kids the way your dad treated you, would you consider that loving? I said, no. She said, you need to come to grips with the reality that your dad did not love you. I'm sure he felt affection for you, but the way he behaved for you was cruel. And he, she said this, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that the way you have admitted to expressing your rage is okay. My question is, why wouldn't someone who is treated that way be angry? She said, your anger is unhealed pain. And Jesus wants to heal that. And all of your efforts to keep a stranglehold on that rage, have they been successful? I said, nope. She said, there's a better way, Kevin. How about we bring this pain to God right here in this room? How about we talk to him about that pain today? How about we ask him, the father, the perfect father who loves perfectly to heal that father wound? And I said, okay. She prayed for me. And then she led me in a prayer to forgive my dad. I probably had forgiven my dad before, but I thought, what's the downside to letting her lead me in another prayer? I have to tell you. 
That was a beginning for me of a new way of living, of more freedom. I'm not anywhere near where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. Man, I'll tell you, it's a wonderful thing if you admit your pain and you invite Jesus into it. And she began to help me to see I could grieve the loss of what could have been. She said, here's the dad God wanted you to have. Here's what God intended for you to have in your family. That's what he wants for every person. And seldom do people get that dad. But if you didn't get that dad, don't pretend that it's okay. Don't pretend it doesn't hurt. And this isn't about hating your dad. It's about learning to be free from the hurt that has injured you and kept you bound and learn to forgive your dad. Am I making sense? She helped me to see I could grieve the loss of what could have been. All of those things that God intended for me to get, I could grieve those things. You know, grief doesn't come naturally to Christians, but grief is a gift. When you say, man, that, that's not what was God's ideal for me, that hurts. But Lord, heal my pain. Heal my pain, because I don't have to stay stuck there. That's the good news. And then cancel the debt. The word forgive is an accounting word. In the New Testament, it's an accounting word. It literally means to cancel the debt. And you make a decision with God's help to cancel the debt. You decide with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to hold this against this person anymore. With the help of the Lord, I'm going to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I cancel your debt. What's the debt? Well, you're owed at least an apology and some compensation according to Old Testament law. And I'm going to cancel those debts. If I never get an apology, I never get compensation, relational or otherwise, with God's help, I'm going to say the debt is gone. And the only time I'm going to mention what happened in that relationship is to testify, never to berate or belittle that person. Cancel the debt. And then another step. Jesus said, bless those who hurt you. Bless your, bless your enemies. Bless them. In the Bible, the word bless means to convey something, to actually convey, to transmit something good that you want to happen to that person. You can say, I bless them with God's goodness. I bless them with God's kindness. I bless them with God's favor. Bless them. This should be a discipline, a discipline of blessing. A long time ago, I began to learn through the influence of another minister about this practice of blessing people who have hurt me every time they come to mind. Every time they come to mind, I will, with God's help, say, Lord, I just want to bless her. I want to bless him. I bless them now in Jesus' name. And over the course of time, a beautiful thing has happened in my heart. The resentment has gone out. The resentment toward those people has left. Another step is, according to Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, is to pray for people who injure you. Pray for them. Pray for them consistently. You know, it's been said, I didn't make this up, hurt people hurt people. I think that's true. That's true. It's not an excuse, but it's a reason. What would happen if we prayed for the people who've, who've done the most hurting? The most hurting. What if we prayed for them, that God would heal their wounded hearts? And what if we kept doing those things? What if that became a way of life for us? It would make a difference, wouldn't it? And if you tend to these things, and if I tend to these things, guess what? We won't see that bitterness, rage, 
wrath, clamor, malice. We won't see that stuff, and we won't grieve the Holy Spirit. We'll become better versions of ourselves. We might even be the kind of people that at Christmas time and other times, others want to be around. Well, there you have it. There you have it. That's it. Shall we pray? So, if you're here today as a guest or even a regular, you probably know what I'm going to say if you've heard me before. This is the day to, to welcome Jesus into your life, into your troubles, your challenges, even into the things you celebrate. Want the worship team to come on up, by the way. Want to invite Jesus. Jesus is for veteran followers of him, and he's for people who haven't met him yet. Welcome Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Even just saying his name, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. That would be awesome. And I want to pray for you now. Lord, I want to pray that this Christmas will be unlike any other Christmas. I pray that you'll heal the wounded hearts that are here. I pray that you'll move on every heart that is here. I pray that you'll help us to tend to our wounds. I pray that you'll help us to look for the resources that are available to help us. I pray, Lord, that you'll also help us to forgive from our hearts so we don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen?